0: to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Air Doctor. Did you know that the air inside our homes can be up to 500 times as dirty as the air outside? It can be filled with harmful VOCs, allergens, bacteria, and more. I've been looking for an air filter that filters out all of these substances and is quiet and that doesn't break the bank. For a long time and the air doctor filter meets all my criteria it removes almost 100 percent of particles from the air including vocs those are things released from candles paint building materials carpeting cleaning products hairspray air fresheners and more it filters out pollen and other allergens pet dander and animal hair mold spores and dust mites cigarette and cigar smoke and viruses germs and bacteria one of my favorite things about it is what they call auto mode, where the fan speed basically adjusts to the appropriate level based on the current air condition in the home. It's been really fascinating to see in our house, for instance, the filter speed up when we've cooked food at high heat or use cleaners that someone gave us that we thought were natural, but they made the air, the filter speed up. So I know air filters can be pricey, which is why I teamed up with Air Doctor to get a massive discount for listeners. You can get 50% off right now by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go, that's G-O forward slash air doctor, air dash doctor. So one more time, that's wellnessmama.com forward slash G-O forward slash A-I-R dash D-O-C-T-O-R. To get the discount, you can also find that link in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection, our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat and their bee mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients. And it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. All one word wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. Hello, and welcome to the healthy moms podcast. I'm Katie from WellnessMama.com, and today I'm here with a personal friend and someone who I really admire and love. Mary Chenuda is a highly sought-after private chef to A-list actors, professional athletes, and high-octane entrepreneurs. She burst on the scene in 2013 and under the nom de cuisine, the Paleo Chef, after leaving a successful career in the startup world to pursue her passion for the transformative power of clean eating. A passion sparked by her own transformational experience that we're going to talk about. A longtime sufferer of undiagnosed food allergies. She took her health into her own hands, like many of us have, and discovered after much experimentation that a paleocentric diet was her key to solving all of her issues. Her focus on clean eating has found a worldwide audience in these few short years and has led to the creation of a fine dining menu consultancy, a performance food line called Fat Fudge that sells out as soon as she can make it, and her work has been featured all over the world and the internet, including in Food & Wine, Glamour, The Joe Rogan Experience, and many more. Her motto is simple eat clean play often and crush life and she lives it perfectly so welcome Mary and thanks for being here thanks for having me i admire and love you too it's going to be so fun it's like i feel like everybody just gets to listen in on a chat with friends cuz we're real life friends um yes. <laughs> and i know i've heard your story and it's an amazing story but i'd love if you could start there at the beginning so to speak because a lot of listeners are facing or have faced health challenges and they i think they'll really be able to relate to you and benefit from your story
1: Yeah. um, So for me, it started as a kid. So you don't really know what's going on. Hindsight is 2020. But I started to get really bad migraines when I was in second grade. uh, And they were almost weekly. And you'd go to school and you'd be in a lot of pain. And unfortunately, uh, the nurse, if if you don't have a fever, they think you're sort of making up the pain. So as a kid, I always felt a little bit betrayed. Luckily, my mom always believed me with my headaches because she also had migraines. But it, they would get so bad that there would be like projectile vomit. So I just sort of dealt with having migraines as a kid. And when I would go to the doctor, they wouldn't really have an answer for my mom and essentially tell me that I must be making it up in some way or causing the headaches through some sort of stress. And I had a pretty chill childhood, so never really bought into that. And over time, the migraines then... Went over to also having skin issues, um, really bad, something called demographia, where you scratch onto your skin, it raises up, and then moving into having really awful hormone issues, and having um, what always felt like heaviness behind my eyes, and then into my 20s, uh, weight fluctuations, and uh, having doctors want to test you and try to diagnose you with lupus, with Cancer with mercury toxicity, with basically throwing darts and never really looking towards the gut. And it wasn't until I came upon the TED talk by Dr. Terry Walls about minding your mitochondria that it all started to make sense. And at that same time, I was sending out my own lab work for um, autoimmune testing for gluten intolerance. And I'd already received a blood test for that when I was one of my hundreds of doctor appointments, and those all came back negative. But then I had learned that blood tests for that at the time could be 60% or up to 60% inclusive. So I was doing a stool test that unfortunately wasn't covered by insurance at the time. It was pretty expensive, but worth it. And I was expecting a gluten intolerance because I had already started to remove that from my diet after I learned what I did on let TED Talk. Started to feel better, but it came back and said that I was actually full-blown celiac but then also intolerant to casein and soy. So for me, that was the greatest day of my life because I had answers. And from then on, never really looked back. And that's that's a short story.
0: (laughs) It's amazing. And I know, um, yeah, I know that you lived the life. And I can only imagine though, because I had food allergies as well, but never to the degree that you have. You say that's the greatest day of your life, but was there also like a sense of loss at all that day? Like finding out you would never eat those foods again? Or um, were you able to just make that mental shift?
1: Yeah. I, I get asked that question a lot. I've definitely had some friends around the same time come back with uh, their own diagnosis and their response was th- totally different than mine. And I, I unfortunately just couldn't understand that. I was pumped for me. Every, anything is better than feeling like crap every day. Cause I don't know to what extent they were uncomfortable, but like I, I dropped out of high school. I went to corporate America I was 15 years younger than everyone else, so not only did I have to perform as great as my colleagues, but I had to perform better because I had to really prove myself. Like Never mind being a person of color and being a woman and having those things. Just numbers-wise, I had to outperform them to earn my seat at the table, and I was doing that in constant pain. I was an athlete in high school, and Like I would have migraines before basketball games and I would be sitting sideline with a thing wrapped around my head to get temporary relief sideline and then tell my coach, like I'm ready to go in, go in for a few minutes and then look at her and she'd pull me out because she knows my migraines get bad. So for me to not deal with any of that anymore and then finally understand what it's like to, to physically feel good when you've spent your whole life having to convince yourself to show up and feel good, that to me, that was great.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And I can only imagine. So how did you, um, like on a practical level, how did you make this shift? Because that is a big, for most people at least, that's a huge change overnight. So did you research it? I know that that's become a passion of yours too. And you share a lot of um, really helpful resources on your website, but how did you kind of make the transition pra- like on a day-to-day practical basis?
1: Ironically, it was just going back to eating the way that my mom cooked for me. So if we look at why second grade was the time in which I started to get migraines. It's the time in which I would feel self-conscious about the Mediterranean food my mom would make me because I went to an American school and they didn't really understand falafels and fool. Um, and I would take a dollar and start eating school lunches. And that was pizzas. That was brownies. That was potato chips. And who knows what were in all those things. So I was just reverting back to eating a primarily Mediterranean influenced diet, cooking it for myself, obviously. Um, and then just finding substitutions, which Google is really great for that. Um, and then a lot of playing in the kitchen. So it wasn't, I don't know, maybe, maybe I don't have the same relationship with food or maybe my, my eating wasn't so far off. I mean, trust me, I definitely love Jack in the box. (laughs) I definitely loved all of my junk food, but it, it wasn't that difficult. And it also could be that I've known how to cook since I was a kid because it was just part of the family growing up, that it, it, was, it was just more of taking control of each meal.
0: Yeah, that's awesome that you had that background because that seems to still be uh, in research. The gold standard is the Mediterranean diet because of the right balance of fats and all the monounsaturated fats and all the diverse vegetables and spices. So that's so awesome.
1: Yeah, there's not a lot of bread. I mean, pita, pita definitely is a big part. I mean, pita is such a big deal in, in that culture that the government controls that the bread supply in Egypt. But it was just a matter of making pita a different way. And then everything else is just healthy proteins and vegetables with moderate grains, mostly seafood, too. Seafood and organ meat is the primary stuff that we ate growing up.
0: That's pretty much how I've adapted to eating too. It would be my preferred. I had anchovies for lunch, and I love, love, love them. And I should have mentioned at the beginning that you are Greek and Egyptian. Which, if I could pick two food cultures and only eat those for the rest of my life, I think I would pick Mediterranean and Greek. So that's awesome that you grew up with that. (laughs) So when you made this shift, like, how long did it take before your symptoms symptoms subsided, and before you really started like seeing the changes in your body and in your life?
1: Um, Three months is is what I would say is the total shift. So. Within, I want to say, two or three weeks, I woke up without a headache. So I, I always had a headache, and then I would have migraines once or twice a week, and then once a month, unfortunately, I'd be hospitalized from the migraines. Um, but I woke up without a headache after the first few weeks, and I almost felt like it was a trick. It was it was a bizarre sensation. And like I shook my head around, almost expecting and waiting for the familiar pain to show up, and it didn't. And... The hormones started to balance out over the course of a month and a half. And the weight wasn't my primary goal for this. I wanted to feel better, but I lost about 30 to 40 pounds uh, in the first three months. Uh, And that was just by changing what I was eating and actually increasing the caloric intake. And because my body felt better, I was able to do more in the gym. So I'm sure all those things play into the, the weight loss. But it was interesting to see your body change when you thought your body was a particular shape this entire time, but it was actually hiding beneath layers and layers and layers of hormone disruption.
0: I love that. And having eaten meals with you, I love that about you because you're not one of those women who eats like three bites and half a salad and you're like, I'm so full. Like, You <laughs> nourish your body. And I think that's maybe a mistake a lot of women make is they think they have to eat less and less and less food and you're killing your metabolism by doing that. Um so a lot I know that um you don't have kids to deal with day to day but a lot of my listeners their biggest complaint is that it takes so much time and so much effort and it's so hard to get healthy food on the table all the time and I think you're especially qualified to speak to this because you don't do it for kids but you do it for like dozens of people who are yeah. like A list people who have probably very high standards and you don't go crazy. So I'd love to hear um well first of all let's go to the story of how that happened. How did you go from uh, corporate America to becoming a personalized chef to the stars?
1: It was sort of accidental. I was, so I've always worn many hats in corporate America. My actual function was sales marketing and consulting, BC consulting in San Francisco. But I, I volunteered with a lot of different programs in high school. And I kept that sort of coaching mentality through into corporate America. So I've done bereavement counseling, domestic violence counseling, uh, body uh, language Counseling. And so when I was in corporate America, they'd always ask me to do a little bit of extra with teams. Um, and so I was just doing that normal stuff. And it was after a call or a meeting that I had related to our numbers for the month. Then I was asked by this person, um, you know, what have you been doing differently? Because you're obviously healthier, you're in less pain. Like, what's this, what's this diet into? And I, I kind of sort of backdoored into the word paleo at the time. I was not eating gluten, casein, soy. And then at the same time, paleo was becoming popular, and it was easier to say paleo than those things. So they could tell me about this paleo diet. So I explained what it was and how I ate. I was bringing my my food to to work so people saw what I was eating. And this gentleman said, you know, I don't really have time to cook for myself. Why don't you do it for me? I'll pay you. And I kind of laughed it off. And the response was like, no, I'm willing to pay X amount. And I lived in San Francisco. So to me, having a side hustle that I was already doing for myself anyways sounded really awesome to have extra money. And uh, around that same time, I was getting my wisdom teeth removed because they were impacted and coiled around the nerve. So I had to get put out for that. And when I came to after that procedure, my oral surgeon was like, I'm so excited for you to be my private chef. So apparently my subconscious (laughs) in my rambling (laughs) was already believing that I was a private chef. And those were my first two clients um, unofficially and but officially. And so I was cooking for those two people. For about three months. And in my mind, it was just going to be a side hustle. And I thought it was pretty cool. And then ultimately, my body broke down because I couldn't be handling my million dollar quota and this and I had to choose. And I took a day off from work to really think about what it is that I wanted to do with this. And I was at the Ferry building. And I was with my friend who's playing hooky with me. And I went to go open the door because I saw a gentleman coming, t- coming towards me and I opened the door for him and he paused and said, Oh, you know, Sh- I Chivalry's not dead. And, and he said, thank you. And I was sort of thrown off that he thanked me while he was thrown off that I even noticed that, or that he noticed that I opened the door for him. And he walked off and my friend looked at me like I was a moron. And I'm like, what? She's like, are you an idiot? Like you, you took the day off to decide whether or not you should be a chef and you literally opened the door for Tyler Florence, a famous chef. And then my like it, it, our, it came to us like, oh my god, that was Tyler Florence. I'm like, that must be the sign. I'm looking for the sign. I found the sign. Um, later on, I tweeted at him, reminded him of that interaction a few years later, and he remembered me. He was a super pumped. But so the next day, I went in and resigned and went all in on being married the Paleo Chef.
0: That's awesome, and I love that you come from the like low inflammation food allergy angle too, because sadly, a lot of kids these days have food allergies, and that's a common question I get from readers and it's not one I have a ton of experience with. My son had a dairy allergy that we reversed, but many readers and listeners have kids with allergies. Obviously, it's still super important to get them to eat their vegetables, to get enough nutrient-dense foods. So can you share some practical tips that you use in the kitchen to make it all taste good and to get people to want to enjoy it?
1: It's really experimenting with a lot of different spices. I think most people are pigeonholed in salt and pepper. And if you the more spices you play with, the more you'll understand your own palate to be able to make meals that you're excited about. So when I go cook for clients, I know nothing about their palates. And usually it is pretty plain. So if if they're willing, some of them will sit down and we'll go through and taste all these different spices. And they'll tell me what they like or they don't like, and we'll try combinations. And then afterwards, I'll tell them, you know, this spice actually... Could mean this is what your body's craving, and this spice could be this is what your body needs. And then that connection in their mind of like, this is not just flavor, but this is actually, I'm looking at nutrients. They become more excited to cook for themselves when I'm not available to them. And when it comes to clients that do have families, I'm only there for a limited period of time when I might only be making meals for maybe that particular person and not always the whole family. So then we'll go through and I'll teach them how to make things in bulk using a pressure cooker where something that might take hours and hours now it takes 45 minutes and something that can be made in bulk and uh, pre-prepping lots of proteins for the week. That way all you have to prep when it's go time is maybe some greens or some vegetables and then being able to reheat the meat. But it is it is all trial-error experimentation. I do struggle with people who say – I don't have time to cook and then I'm like, okay, well then why don't you hire a chef? I don't have money for a chef. I'm like, okay, then why don't you pay for this meal service? I don't want to do that. Like, so you don't want any solutions at all. I don't know that it's that you don't want any solutions or maybe you just wanted an excuse to not really give it a valiant go. So that's always a difficult conversation to have and try to figure out what will work for them because the solutions we have available to us now were not available when I first went gluten-free. There was no siete, there was no meal services, it was all being done from scratch. So I try to to, to get people to see that it, it it can be more accessible.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I can't even imagine how many um, tortilla recipes I threw away and failed at trying to make <laughs> one that was like palatable, much less good. And now that you could find these things in stores is amazing.
1: Yeah, it makes me feel like that scene in um, cast is that castaway with Tom Hanks. And, uh, and he at the end is Looking at all the crab legs already when, he had, when he's already rescued, all the crab legs are there in excess, and he's like playing with the lighter when he had to make fire before. That's how I
0: feel when I see everything that's available to us now. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, it's a great analogy. Um, what about eating out? Because I know that you don't shy away from that, and that can be a difficult thing to navigate with food allergies. So, how do you, what questions do you ask, or how do you know if food is safe or not?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, if you have a preference, it's less scary. If you have an autoimmune disorder like myself, The risk will always be on your shoulders if you decide to dine out. That's something you have to understand. And when you go to restaurants, I'm not going to choose to go to a hole in the wall Italian restaurant where there's a language barrier and expect them to be able to serve me. That's really unfair. So I am always ahead of time picking restaurants that will more likely be able to serve me. And then when I do get there, if I don't call them ahead of time, Uh, questions are always the same. Can I speak to the the chef or the the sous chef? I tell them I'll be sitting at so-and-so table. I apologize. I am one of those people with allergies. I will eat anything you can prepare that doesn't have these ingredients. And the reason why I do that is rather than trying to reinvent something that's on the menu, letting the decision fall on their shoulders so I don't disrupt their business and what's going on in the back kitchen and I can still have a meal that's prepared for me by someone else and still have a, a social uh, experience with people. And once I've established that and they send me whatever it is I can have, I'll also send a drink back to the chef as a, a form of gratitude.
0: That's a good tip. And, um, and I like the idea, even for those without allergies, I'd encourage people to try that once in a while, especially if you go on like a date night at a nice restaurant, um, like let the chef surprise you because almost always you'll be blown away. It's a fun experience.
1: You'll get a better meal that's on the menu, too. They'll be, they're like, yeah, sure. One, they're like happy that you weren't the jerk at the table. And then when they get to play off-menu, who knows what they were inspired by that day? Because, you know, chefs are artists, and they might make you something super incredible.
0: Yeah, I've had that experience a couple of times. It's amazing. This podcast is brought to you by Air Doctor. Did you know that the air inside our homes can be up to 500 times as dirty as the air outside? It can be filled with harmful VOCs, allergens, bacteria, and more. I've been looking for an air filter that filters out all of these substances and is quiet and that doesn't break the bank for a long time. And the Air Doctor filter meets all my criteria. It removes almost 100% of particles from the air, including VOCs, Those are things released from candles, paint, building materials, carpeting, cleaning products, hairspray, air fresheners, and more. Filters out pollen and other allergens, pet dander and animal hair, mold spores and dust mites, cigarette and cigar smoke, and viruses, germs, and bacteria. One of my favorite things about it is what they call auto mode, where the fan speed basically adjusts to the appropriate level based on the current air condition in the home. It's been really fascinating to see in our house, for instance, the filter speed up when we've cooked food at high heat or use cleaners that someone gave us that we thought were natural, but they made the air, the filter speed up. So I know air filters can be pricey, which is why I teamed up with air doctor to get a massive discount for listeners. You can get 50% off right now by going to wellnessmama.com forward slash go that's G-O forward slash air doctor, air dash doctor. So one more time, that's wellnessmama.com Forward slash Go forward slash A-I-R dash D-O-C-T-O-R. To get the discount, you can also find that link in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection. Our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey, with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat and their bee elixir mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients. And it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. All one word wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. I feel like the biggest win in your personal story, though, in some ways is the mindset that came from your challenges, because I mentioned your motto in the beginning, and it, you really do embody that, the um, eat clean, play often, and crush life, and you really like embrace life to the fullest. So can you share some of the ways you've learned to think and live this way, or were you born that way maybe, um, but even in the face of all the challenges you face in your life and your lifelong diagnosis?
1: I always think about whether that stuff is innate or if it's learned, and maybe it's a combination of both. I definitely got what people want to call my edge in grade school because I was super bullied and the girls never wanted to play with me. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't know how to convince these people to like me. I think I'm a really sweet person. So instead, I went and started playing basketball with the boys because there it was pretty simple. If I put the ball in the net, I will be accepted. (laughs) And that was pretty easy for me. And then, when, uh, and then by being able to do that and feeling really confident and empowered, I then would be able to stand up to my bullies a little bit better versus getting shoved into the tan bark, I could stand up for myself. And I, that sort of played out throughout my life, um, going to corporate America, being put down or bullied for whatever dumb reason the person wants to project on you. And you can get angry. You could make noise around it and be labeled drama, or you can make yourself so valuable that that person cannot bully you because they're going to look like an idiot. So that is, I mean, that's the premise behind the crush life part. Like You know this, this, that I struggled with coming up with the crush life component of that motto. And it was because of the years and years and years of being told that I wasn't feminine enough. And almost being scared to make that part of my motto because I'm like, well, what does that mean I'm not good enough? And I had a friend sit me down and be like, Mary, like too, too masculine for whom, basically. And who cares what these other people say to you about that? Like, this is who you are. You're you're more than feminine. The reality is you've been able to play in the spectrum of feminine versus masculine, and and great for you. Like, you know how to embody both. So don't you dare play small or play somebody else by not letting it be crush life. And I was still concerned about using that. And then uh, one of my readers told me she had a surprise for me and had tweeted me a photo where she had tattooed Eat Clean or she tattooed Eat Play Crush on her arm. And I was like, all right, well, it's it's Eat Play Crush. (laughs) No going back from here. Um, It's almost like that Tyler Florence experience, like almost it's the God knows I'm so stubborn that I need a very clear sign. So I think I think it's a combination of maybe some of it's innate, maybe some of it was learned as a survival skill. Um, definitely, my parents have uh, they raised me to. They didn't tell me that I was special and I could do no wrong. They told me that you know you can be special and you can work hard to get what you want. And I was definitely. Unconditionally loved by them. My parents are very old school, very traditional. And uh, the thing that I think I'm lucky is that they never asked me to be anything other than who I am. So I always had the opportunity to experiment. And then, as far as like, living life to the fullest, mortality for me is a big deal. A lot of people in my life passed away before age 25. Even this last summer, I, I lost somebody very near to me. And the only way I can feel to honor their legacy and honor their memory is to make sure that I can live out a life that brings me joy and pays that joy forward otherwise um I've convinced myself that maybe they they passed away in vain, so I think it's a it's a combination of things
0: yeah, and one thing I really took from what you just said too is that um like you did you had a great childhood at home, and I know like statistically having parents who you know love you, that does a whole lot for um, like long-term outcomes. But also the fact that you were bullied in school, I'm sure it was not ever a pleasant experience. But um, when you look at the statistics, you know, kids who have to overcome something young in life, they tend to be more successful. And that's something my husband and I have struggled with, because obviously you can't purposely make life hard on your kids. You would never want to, (laughs) but you also know they do need resilience. They have to be able to like face things. So for us, one of those answers has been that we travel um, because it, Travel by nature has some challenges built in, and language barriers, and um, difficult situations. I know you've traveled pretty much, a lot too in your life, right?
1: Yeah, Well, mostly going back to Egypt uh, for family. Uh, it's yeah. However, however, you can create a little tension. Obviously, you don't want your kid bullied. I don't know. Maybe you do. I have no idea. Like, <laughs> I do have some friends, and we've talked about this, where they have almost the the trauma of privilege where they haven't experienced any hardships and they either feel a little guilt around that and they don't know how to navigate especially with everything that's going on right now or uh, when they are hit with something very challenging much later in life they don't have the tool set to deal with it and optimist is one of the things that i have on a lot of my products and i jokingly but very seriously mean, without my negativity, I wouldn't be such an optimist. So, like when something really heavy hits me, I feel it, it sucks, but I have the tools and I can talk to myself, talk basically to the cells in my body to be able to overcome it and thrive through it. And there are some people who haven't had hardships. And when they're hit with something, it's almost like they have a complete meltdown because they haven't had that before. So, I mean, I think it's really cool that you're traveling with the kids to give them some sort of like friction for them to navigate however they choose to navigate, especially with your clan, dude. I would love to see how each individual one (laughs) reacts
0: differently. Yeah, it's crazy. We definitely get looks, especially like in other countries. And another thing that um, I'm guessing your parents probably did, and mine did as well, and one thing we do with our kids, um, is that we don't ever do anything for them they can do themselves. Because it's, again, about teaching the independence and not letting them ever think they're like the quote-unquote special snowflake. But also because, um, like, we look at it as they are contributing members to the family. And they're responsible for doing things. I'm guessing your parents probably were like that as well. Like, you've probably learned to cook early and probably learned to do things around the house early because you were part of the family.
1: Yeah, I was the oldest. So that plays a role, too. Uh, My sister and I are 10 years apart. My brother and I are three years apart. My grandmother was around uh, to help my mom, being that I was the firstborn. But... You start, as soon as you can walk around, your first job is like pulling cilantro and then you graduate up to making pasta. Um, You always had chores around the house. And uh, and my mom was a great, I don't know, my mom is a beast. She is a biochemist. She had her full-time career. She had a side job. And I also saw her every day for breakfast and every night for dinner. And she had three kids. And my dad was an engineer. And when they first came to America, he was an engineer during the day, would stock produce in the morning and do dishes at night. Uh, and again, I still saw him every day and every night. And I don't know how my parents did that. So I, I constantly remind myself, there is nothing I could do that would be as difficult as what my parents did, coming to a new country, having a family having their degrees, their very high accolade degrees and their careers, and then doing all this extra stuff while still being present. So it was this incredible example of you can do and achieve anything, and you can look at it two ways. Like I can look at all the things I have going against me that make life more difficult for me, or I can respect that and use those things to my advantage and work really hard to overcome those things.
0: Yeah, exactly. Were there any other things in your childhood specifically that you feel like um, your parents did that really like left a lasting impression with you? Like, I know like all of us as moms who are listening are trying to figure out how can we raise kind and contributing members to society who can hopefully fix some of these problems we've created in the world. Um so I'm curious if anything else comes to mind.
1: I don't know, I grew up in a pretty religious household, but also a really open-minded household, so it was a really wonderful balance. My mom encouraged curiosity. So I know usually in churches questioning is not generally allowed, but that was absolutely allowed. So she wanted to be as curious as possible and ask as many questions as possible. So curiosity, my dad always would hammer in generosity. Uh, He said, you know, I'm raising you to be a very kind, compassionate and generous person. I don't ever want that to change. I do want you to be mindful of who you're generous to, to also still learn how to protect yourself. Um, and it was, they always raised me with the sense of like pay it forward and always heard how blood is thicker than water. So always make sure that you're taking care of your family. And once you, your family unit is safe and taken care of, then you have a, a strong foundation to be, be able to start taking care of people outside the family. Um, we were raised that no matter what paycheck you have coming in, you're always supposed to give a percentage of that back in some way. And it's more than just handing somebody money. It's, constant volunteer work as a family I don't know my parents are overachievers as you can tell they definitely put that into us too and I think coming from a third world country and coming from challenges I may not ever really come to understand they definitely did a good job of paying that forward and mind you my parents are not perfect I don't believe in perfect parents there are things that you know I've seen my American friends their parents be able to do that I may not be able to do with my parents, but I also get to see the things that my parents provided me that they don't get to. So it's, I don't know, I think I have had a really good balance of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the best.
0: That's awesome. And it be- seems like at least they checked a lot of those boxes that, you know, in every article, the things you can do to raise kids who are going to like contribute to the world. They checked a lot of the boxes, whether they intended to or not. So that's awesome. And
1: yeah, they certainly weren't reading blog posts.
0: So I think Right. Exactly. I can- they so pioneered naturally. it. <laughs> So I want to switch gears a little bit because not only did you um, become private chef to the stars and you have a successful blog, you also now have a successful product, which those are all hard things to do on their own and you've done all of them. So let's talk about fat fudge um, because I'm a fan and we have it in our house, but um, explain what it is and why you created it.
1: So fat fudge is a replacement to the goo and gel packs and a replacement to like protein bars. Uh, Bars don't sit well in my stomach. They never have. Goos I loved until I became paleo because it's just a bunch of crap for the most part. Uh, and it it's more of like a, a long, drawn-out checkpoints of a story. So I wanted to create a replacement to goo in protein bars. And then I got asked to do some cult consulting with the Oracle sailing team, and they needed something for on the water. And I was trying to find the perfect replacement. I couldn't. The best I could come up with at the time was grinding down chia seeds into a powder and then putting the different nutrients and foods in there. So I had that sitting in my mind. And then I had unicorn fuel, which was my replacement to like butter coffee because there were a few clients of mine that just couldn't get into it because they really missed their like fancy lattes. So I put together spices that I wanted to have in their diets in the morning, which is like maca, turmeric, cayenne, a little cinnamon. I wanted them to have the the grass-fed butter as some sort of fat. And I had jokingly called that drink unicorn fuel. And that went viral and was voted one of the best coffee hacks in paleo magazine. So you had unicorn fuel going over here. And then you had this, I need to figure out a replacement to goo happening two separate ways. And then I had a client who was a professional golfer and another client that was a professional baseball player. And I was making them these fat bombs. And the base was tahini, which is like life to me. I put tahini in almost everything. The base was tahini and butter and a little bit of vanilla. So those three things were all happening independently. And one evening, I was trying to make myself something called halawa or halva, depending on what part of the Mediterranean Middle Eastern, which is just honey that you cook at a really high heat. And then you mix in tahini, and you put it in the refrigerator, and you let it crystallize over the next few days. And it's an amazing dessert. So I was making that. It's very fickle. If you get the temperature wrong of the honey, you will not get the crystallization. And essentially, it was multitasking, messed up the heat. I'm like, I'll just make some fudge. So I dumped in all the spices from Unicorn Fuel into that. And the next morning, I was eating this fudge. And like all the light bulbs went off. And I was like, holy crap, this is the replacement. So I spent some time tweaking the ingredients, like reducing the honey by a ton, increasing the turmeric, and getting it to where it had a real functional purpose. And that was fat fudge. At the time, I called it functional fudge. I posted that recipe. And then that recipe went viral. And the world asked me to turn it into a product because people were taking pictures of their recipes in sandwich baggies on runs. And then from there was this, another, this other moment where I was like, all right, let me like figure it out as I go.
0: That's awesome. And definitely, I'll have a link in the show notes if anyone wants to buy it because like, my kids love it. Um, my husband travels with it. I travel with it. Um, Because it truly, like to me, it's like a meal on the go, totally. Because it's got like calories and proteins and fats and covers all your bases, which is awesome. Also, this makes you a successful female entrepreneur. And I know, like on your Instagram, which we'll also link in the show notes so people can find you, um, you post a lot of quotes about being an entrepreneur and about like pushing through and facing challenges and overcoming them. And a lot of women listening are. Um, trying to do things like start a home-based business or maybe try to be a private chef or um, develop their own products. So I'm curious if there's any lessons that you've distilled from tackling all of those yourself that you think especially like are encouraging to women who are trying to do that.
1: Sure. So I think with private chef stuff, like uh, in the beginning, understanding the price point and understanding the kind of client that I want to have. So there's this idea that you should say yes to every opportunity. Not every opportunity is for you, even if it's shiny. And I said yes to opportunities, not based out of desperation or scarcity, but out of like, who is it that I want to become in, in the private chef world? So I decided these are the things, the kind of clients that I want to work with regardless. And this is the price point I want to charge regardless. And it might leave a little room for being uncomfortable and maybe like worrying where, how, how I'm going to eat the next day. But by holding out, I was able to leave the seat open. For the exact kind of client and the price point that I wanted. So it was kind of being bullheaded about that when it comes to the odds being set against you. Like I was told by multiple manufacturers that they wouldn't package um, a butter product in the squeeze pack. And I'm like, that doesn't, that literally does not make sense to me. So it was just about making more phone calls because if I was able to hand pack it, I would be able to find an actual manufacturer to do it. I guess it's, um, there's a really cool cartoon that circulates the internet and it's side by side, these two men that are digging underground. And one guy is super pumped and he's digging and he's really, really far away from the prize, which is all these diamonds hidden under the dirt. And then there's this other guy that's exhausted and he's turning around and walking away and he's just centimeters from the diamond and he gave up just way too soon. And I think people think that starting a home business, being a private chef, whatever, is gonna be easy. And that's unfortunately because what we see in social media and on TV is like just the, the, the very ending to where the success begins. And it takes a long time to get to just the beginning. So I think first, be honest with yourself. Are you willing to deal with the work, with the rejection? Are you willing to understand that there is no such thing as failure if you're going to be an entrepreneur? You have to master the pivot. And if you feel that you can do that, then the next step is just simply not giving up, being creative like really being bullheaded about it if it's what you really want. You have to be kind of crazy and believe in yourself or your product beyond reasonable doubt.
0: Yeah, I think that's a key. And something I've noticed in our journey as well is just you have to be so passionate about the topic and know that it's helping people too. And maybe I'm a little bit idealistic there, but I don't apologize for it, that I think um, you have to be willing, like whatever you're doing, whatever you're trying to accomplish, you also have to be helping people in some way because people aren't going to buy your product if it's not – Going to improve their lives, and so you obviously done that in several different ways. Um, and I think it, you're right. At the end of the day, that the, the answer is not very sexy. It's hard work and caring a whole lot, and usually caring more than other people do. Um, which yeah. doesn't sound very good when someone's just hanging out, but <laughs> well, because that
1: that's contagious. I do, I mean, who knows? I can't say, but would people care about Paleo Chef or Fat Fudge if I didn't share all those details the whole time? I think showing how much I've cared. And being relentless about it is a big part of the foundation that created the, I wouldn't call it success. It's on its way to success. Like I'm still in the process of it. And you you do have to care. I get asked all the time about balance. I'm like, what is this question? If you want to pursue something great or legendary, there is no such thing as balance. Your entire life becomes about these things. And you don't even think about meeting balance because you're so in love with it that you don't want to break from it. If you ask a legendary baseball player, a legendary CEO, they're not going to be like, oh, I did it by moderation and balance. Like that's not the story there. So it's, it's. I mean, it's just really being honest with yourself about the, the work ethic and the desire to succeed.
0: That's a good point. And the older I get, the more I tend to notice too, balance is definitely not like an everyday type of activity. It seems to be like balance happens over months or years and that comes that's in diet like you don't necessarily eat every single thing you're supposed to eat every day but over a week you might and same with certainly with business or like sports you mentioned um you know baseball players play like a crazy schedule 162 games but they take the summer off so balance for them is that so that's an excellent point um so to anyone who had like really resonated with your story first of all before we go any further i want to make sure they can find you um so say where you are online people in case people are listening and of course that'll all be in the show notes but Um, I know I follow you for inspiration. So where can people find you? Uh,
1: Paleochef.com is the website at PaleoChef on Twitter and Instagram.
0: Awesome. And do you have any um, like parting words or encouragement to anyone listening, especially I'd say to any parents who are struggling to navigate that um, nutritional change with a kid maybe who has food allergies, who's going through kind of that phase um, that you went through and trying to find their own answers. Do you have any encouragement to them?
1: Uh, I think if you're trying to do it for your family or kids, make it a team effort, get them involved, make them feel excited and empowered about, about it. Because I think, again, I'm not a parent. I do have friends who I'm, I'm auntie and I'm always there. And I definitely, I get inspired once they're inspired. So like when I'm working with kids and I teach them about ingredients or how to cook and then they get really excited, it's just, this is back and forth. So sometimes if you get the family involved and your kid's super pumped, that might reignite your fire and your motivation to keep it going. And then when they're of a certain age, they can do the work for you. (laughs) They can do the work for you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's a great tip. And our kids are like by nature, super helpful now. So I will echo that for sure. That's a huge tip. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Mary, like I said, I know you're a super busy entrepreneur and I want to respect your time, but I really appreciate you being here. And I hope everybody tries fat fudge because we're addicted at our house, but um. Thank you for your time and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I will see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.